right. Well, good morning, all. <laughs> Thank you for joining uh, this morning with me today. Uh, it is interesting times that we live in with the uh, the global pandemic and the um, the lives that we now have to live with our families and our children and the separation. Um, as I was studying for the message that I felt that God wanted to to provide this morning, um, I really had to, to dive deep into several things that I've been studying lately. And, and looking at this one, um, it just kept resonating with me. And, and specifically because we'll be talking about, or we'll be having communion later today uh, or this morning. Um, this, this to me is, is just a natural extension of that. And so I'll have to make that connection here when we reach the end uh, of my sheet. Um, so this morning for, for my Sunday school teaching, I wanted to dive into the altar. Uh, so that's the title of the message really is the altar. But, but really it's, it's more about the tabernacle and the temple. As, as I was uh, listening to one of pastor's sermons, um, I started to really think about what the differences are between the temple and the tabernacle. We, we have so many different words now for churches, uh, synagogues. Um, obviously, the word temple is still used in, in several areas, sanctuaries, church. And um, the, the, the two main ones that you really get in the Bible are the tabernacle and the temple. So I wanted to study it. I wanted to look into it and, and see what those differences are, where they came about. Um, and, and come to find out it comes out even before then um, to the concept of the altar. So we're going to read a little bit about the altar. We're going to read a little bit about the tabernacle and the temple. Um, but really when we, when we look at all this and, and what it means, it's, it's, it's talking about who we are as individuals and how we have a relationship with the Lord and, and what that means for us as a body and us as individuals. And, and more so now than ever, as, as we look at our lives and, way that, and the way they've changed, um, how communion has become such an integral part of our relationships with other people, with the Lord, and, and how we've, we've been asked to social distance um, and, and, and stay away to in order to flatten the curve, and you're going to hear all these things. Uh, but really what it's talking, when we, when we hear those things, right, it, it gives us anxiety. It gives us pause because we are so used to being able to come together as a congregation. It's, it's strange to me to see this, this empty sanctuary, for, for there to be nobody in here except for my, my wonderful and supporting wife uh, and Scott. Brother Scott's always here. And Scott, um, but it's it's interesting to see you know nobody here because of of the mandate that the city has put down and and the social distancing and the quarantine and all that. We we as humans we're not used to this. We we love to congregate. We love to get together. We love to be with each other. Uh, I've, I've said before that my favorite holiday is Thanksgiving, and it's because of that 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 the hosting and the family and the camaraderie. Um, you know, we'd, we'd love to get together for birthday parties. Um, it's, it's just interesting because, because we, that is our life. And, and for it to be separate like this is so difficult for all of us. But <clears throat> as I was doing my, my study in scripture, I began to look into the uh, Old Testament at the back at the beginning to see where all this came about. And, and we start here in Genesis chapter 13, beginning in verse 14. Um, and it says, and the Lord said unto Abram, after that lot was separated from him, lift up now your eyes and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. All the words for all the land which thou seest to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth so that if a man can number the dust of the earth then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto
check. Ah. Uh oh. One of these is a good battery, one of these is a bad battery. Now I don't know which one is which. All right. My apologies. Uh, we had some technical difficulties, and the battery died in the midst of me speaking. Where was I? We're going to start in verse 17 of Genesis chapter 13. Arise, walk through the land and length of it and the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Now I'm out of breath because I've been running around. Abram. I haven't worked out in a while. Abram. I know, I'm okay. Abram, Abraham, was with his um, nephew, Lot. And, and they're looking out into the land. And God tells him, you look out everywhere. I'm going to make you a great nation. And, and I want to establish you in my heart and, and establish you in, in this, this land as the father of everything. I'm going to make you um, a, a great nation. And I want you to look out and see all the sand. You can't number it. That's how unnumerable your children are going to be um, because I'm going to expand this kingdom through you. And so Abram, Abraham, Abram, Removed his tent and said, all right, I'm going forth. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. And he builds an altar. And, and it's the first time that we see somebody build an altar to God. But basically what he did is he took a bunch of, of stones, big rocks, and he puts them together. And, and he says, this is the place where God spoke to me. This is the place where God established a covenant with me uh, and with Lot. And, and with, with God, with what he's going to do in my life. And so Abram builds the altar. And the reason he builds an altar is because every time he comes back to that place, he can say to his children, to his progeny, this is where God spoke to me. This is where it happened. And we see this in the Old Testament um, because they traveled so much. In, with these nomadic people, what would happen is they would, they would um, plant, they would sow in certain areas, and then the land would slowly start to consume itself because all the nutrients are being used for, for the food. And, and so they had to rotate out, and, and you find them going from place to place looking for better land. And so when they do these things, um, or when they're going forth, they would build altars unto God and, and to other gods as well, because it wasn't just the, the Israelites doing this, but they would build altars to commemorate what happened there. In fact, we see this again in Genesis chapter 35, uh, beginning of verse 1. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God, uh, that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away your strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments. And let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress, was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand, and all their earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them, that they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. And so Jacob puts up this altar to God and, and establishes what had happened there, that we made a covenant with God, we cleaned ourselves, and we move forward in, in order to be part of his plan. Here's another one. I like this one. Uh, not that I didn't like the other ones. Exodus chapter 17, verse 13. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. So, some context here. We know the story where uh, Amalek and his people are fighting the Israelites and Moses and his people. And, and Moses, God tells Moses, look, you go up there and you just kind of stand and, and be my, my lightning rod. 
And, and I'm going to usher forth power from me to you, to the people. And, and it was so that when Moses held up his hands, that, that the people were winning. But whenever Moses put down his hands, they started to lose. And, and so then you find uh, a couple of friends of his come over and, and help him up. They lift up his hands for him. And so Moses is just kind of standing there, and someone's holding his hands. And, and they start to win, and they win the battle. Right? Verse 14, the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly, utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi. For he said, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now the word Jehovah Nissi means God is our banner. Jehovah is our banner. And, and so he builds this altar to commemorate the fact that um, God was their banner, that God was on their side, that, that as long as he was um, submitting himself to the Lord, God was using him in a mighty way. And so he builds an altar, and, and he says, write it in a book. It's another way of, of making an altar, but he said, write it in a book and, and make sure that you remind Joshua that this is what's happening or this is what happened, that you, you guys won because you submitted yourselves to me. And so he built the altar, and now any time anybody crossed over into that area, into that land, they would see the rocks, they would see the altar, and they would say, that's where this happened. That's where Moses was standing um, whenever this occurred. We, we, we humans, we love to have altars to things. Um, man, especially in the, you'll, you'll see this especially in the Hispanic community, um, where they'll have little little shrines to the Virgin Mary or little shrine to Jesus, um, uh, just a, a an altar, a place where they can go and, and commemorate what what God is doing or has done. Uh, we see this in, in in pagan religions. We see this throughout the world in, in areas where where we build something to commemorate what has happened. That's why we have statues of, of famous people, right? They are altars to that person because you did a great thing. And, and it wasn't until um, not too recently that I, f I realized or found out that, that every statue that is built is, is built in a certain way, that if the horse is lifting up his leg, his right leg and his left leg, they mean different things. Uh, if they're facing certain ways, they mean certain things. So, so we... As people, we build altars to commemorate, to remember what has happened. I remember getting saved right there in, in this sanctuary. Uh, I didn't build an altar. This was my altar here. But I will forever remember this place because of what it means to me. And, and again, this is the altar that God has for us. In fact, we used to have altars right here in the sanctuary um, and it was places where people would come down and they would kneel and they would pray and, and they would, would, they would commemorate, they'd commiserate their time with God. These, these altars are places of, of communion. They're places of um, wanting to be with the Lord and, and establishing. We, we have placed these things. Now, we, we don't have our altars anymore, but we have placed these things here because it's, it's different than where you are right now. And, and what I mean by that is we get up from where we are and go to that place where we know something has happened, where the Lord has moved upon us and changed us. That's what these altars represented. These were stationary altars, stationary things. It was a place where you went to remember what God had done. And they were built so that you could see them from far off. That's why we have uh, the memorials that are built. That's why they're built so largely, so that you can see them from far away. And so when, when Abraham, when Joshua, when Jacob are building their altars, it wasn't just a couple of rocks. They built these, these large stone edifices uh, in order for you to see it from far away and to say that was the place where God moved. That was the place where God was touching my life, where, where God was changing things in the atmosphere. So they built these altars to, to remember that, and, and they would see them, and they would remember, and then they would go off on their day, but they would come back to those places. They would, they would visit them. They would bring their sons, their daughters, their, the generations. They would say, look at this thing that happened and remember, 
and they would write them down. And, and at times they would have um, even placards of stone that said this was where such and such happened. And they would call the places things. He called it Jehovah Nisi. He called it El Bethel. These, these were given names to commemorate and to remember what God was doing. We then see this continue on in the Old Testament. Um, even though, we're going to talk about the, the, the tabernacle here in a minute. Even though God establishes a tabernacle, we see this continue on through uh, the life of the Old Testament. We'll start here with, with uh, Saul in 1 Samuel 14. In verse 34 it says, And Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people, and say unto them, Bring me hither every man his ox, and every man his sheep, and slay them here, and eat, and sin not against the Lord in eating with the blood. And all the people brought every man his ox with him that night, and slew them there. And Saul built an altar unto the Lord. The same was the first altar that he built unto the Lord. Saul Paul was an interesting character. You either love him or you hate him. I'm just kidding. You know, he's, he, he was a, a conflicted individual. I, I've always imagined him like the, uh, the captain of the football team. When, when God chose him, he chose a representative. He chose a leader. He chose a politician. He, he chose somebody that was tall and broad and strong and, and, and nice to look at. He chose someone that people, he knew people would want to follow because that's what the people were asking for. When they said, we want a king, he said, I'm going to give you a king, someone that looks kingly, someone that has the presence of a king. And so he gave him Saul. And Saul, as, as much as he tried to be a good person, was also conflicted with the power that he was given and, and the things that were going on in his life. And, it, and at one point in time, he's at war. He's, he starts this, he's in this battle uh, with the Philistines, and, and as they're going into battle, he tells the people, don't eat. Do not consume anything. He says anybody who consumes anything is, is going to be punished, um, and this is a mandate from the Lord. And so they're, they're walking along. Everybody has heard the message, don't eat. Uh, Saul has said, you're going to get punished. You will surely be put to death, so don't eat anything. And, and um, they, they, the Israelites, as they're walking, and they're, they're attempting to not let bugs fly in their mouth because that's a form of eating. Um, there's, there's honey dripping from trees because there's so much honey in this land that they, the uh, Israelites, as they're walking, are shutting their mouths. They're purposely keeping their mouths closed and not touching their face because they know that there's honey being dripped on their bodies. There's honey falling in, onto their face. And they know that if they, they lick their lips, it's considered eating, and so they don't. But the person who doesn't hear about this is Jonathan, his son. And so Jonathan's walking around, and he sees all this wonderful honey, and, and he, he gets his staff, and he dips it into the honey, and he tastes it. He puts it in his mouth, and, and the Bible says that his eyes are enlightened. But because of this... Jonathan has therefore sinned. He has sinned against the Lord. And so he, he then creates this chain reaction of sin and, and punishment and, and all this that Saul has to deal with. And so he, Jonathan tells the people, hey, guys, look, we're, we're starving and we're doing poorly in these battles because we're starving. And, and I feel so much stronger because of the sugar, because of the nutrients that have come in through this honey. I think we should all eat. And they keep telling him, no, look, your father said don't do this. And so they get to the point where Saul says, all right, somebody's in here. Somebody in here has sinned. Let's, let's figure out who it is. So they, they actually cast lots. They do this lottery thing. And Saul puts Jonathan next to him, and he separates all the people. And he says, all right, let's cast lots. Let's see, did we sin? Or did you sin? And they cast the lots, and it was either Jonathan or Saul. And he said, okay, so it wasn't the people. So then Saul says, okay, let's cast the lots again. And, and they cast it, and it was Jonathan. And he says, Jonathan, tell me what happened. So he tells him, and he says, you have surely sinned, and you have to be put to death. And the people rise up, and they say, no, 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 don't kill Jonathan. 
you know, we'll take this upon ourselves. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll do sacrifices or whatever. And that's where this verse comes out of. And we see Saul, who loves his son, build an altar unto the Lord for the very first time in his life. Because he loves him so much and because he recognizes this thing has, has gone very badly here. So Saul builds an altar. He builds an altar to the Lord to commemorate the time when God spared his son, when God was fighting this battle for them, when, when Saul had to humble himself and build this thing in order to save him and his people. Again, Saul was a, a very conflicted man, and for him to build this altar like this is no small thing. We see this same type of thing here with 2 Samuel, uh, in, with David in 2 Samuel. This one's a little bit of a longer passage, but we're going to read all of it because I think it's important. So 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 15. So the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel from the morning even to the time appointed, and there died of the people from Dan, even to Beersheba, 70,000 men. When the angel stretched out his hand upon Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord repented him of the evil and said to the angel that destroyed the people, it is enough, stay now thine hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing place of Aruna the Jebusite. And David spoke unto the Lord when he saw the angel that smote the people and said, Lo, I have sinned and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, be against me and against my father's house. And Gad came that day to David and said unto him, Go up, rear an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. And David, according to the saying of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. And Aruna looked and saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And Aruna went out and bowed himself before the king on his face upon the ground. And Aruna, I know I'm saying that wrong, I'm sorry. And Aruna said, wherefore is my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, to buy the threshing floor of thee, to build an altar unto the Lord, that the plague may be stayed from the people. And Aruna said unto David, let my lord the king take and offer up what seems good unto him. Behold, here be oxen for burnt sacrifice and threshing instruments and other instruments of the oxen for wood. And all these things did Aruna as, as a king give unto the king. And Aruna said unto the king, The Lord thy God accept thee. And the king said unto Aruna, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer a burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which does cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord was entreated for the land and the plague was stayed from Israel. And wouldn't that be great if we just build an altar here and this whole thing just goes away? Wouldn't that be awesome? But that's what happened with David. David, David is here. He's fighting this pestilence. The angel of, of pestilence is coming across the land and, and David is, is um, praying. He's entreating of the Lord and saying, Lord, we... We've got to stop these, these, these sheep, these people. They, they've done nothing wrong. You know, help me fight this, this sin and stop it. And Gad gives him a prophetic word and says, go build an altar where, where that pestilence is staying right now. And, and he built the altar. He, he offered sacrifices. And, and he even, um, Aruna said, look, you can have it for free. There's, there's stuff here all around. You can, you can just take it. It's yours. Do it, do it as you please. And David, one of those famous sayings, right? I will not give to God that which costs me nothing. It's the it's second time he says that uh, in a different context. And so he buys the threshing floor for 50 shekels, builds the altar, and the pestilence is stayed. So all this, just talking about altars. We're going to get to tabernacle and, and temple here in a minute. But, but I wanted to show you, as, as I'm going through this journey uh, in Scripture, I wanted to show you what it was like for these people as they are establishing their relationship with God. It, it began with Abraham. It, it goes on into Jacob, and we see Saul do it. We see David do it. Um, we, we have to recognize that the tabernacle was established in Exodus at the time of Moses. We're going to talk about that here in a second. But it was established at the time of Moses 
And yet we see Saul and David post-Moses uh, continuing on this practice of, of having these altars. The altar was not just about communion with God. It was not just about commemorating what God was doing. But, but it was about establishing a place to go and to see that said this is where God did something. And, and that's where they would go to have their communion. Or that's what they would look at when they had their communion. As, as they would pass by it, they would say, I remember the time when God did thus. And, and how easy it is for us as people to forget what God has done when we don't establish those things. Now, now for me, it's easy. That, this is the place where I got saved. That spot right there. But that's because I come to this building. If, if my family had, been, uh, had moved on and, and been in attendance at another church, um, I, I, I imagine that, that driving by this building would have established those same types of things. In fact, when we drive by certain areas, I, I remember my wife talking to the girls in the car and saying, that's where mommy went to, to kindergarten. That's where mommy went to school. Or that's daddy's school way over there. That's where he went to high school. It, it's those places of establishment that we drive by, that we see, that we, that we commemorate what God did uh, in that day. That's what the altar was all about. And, and when God established the concept of the altar, it was for communion. It was for remembrance. It was for commiserating and, and establishing a fellowship and a partnership um, between us and, and what God was doing. Now, one thing I did not put in here, but I'm going to mention anyway, um, is, is a passage where in Exodus where Moses up, is up in the mountain and he is uh, meeting with God. He's off getting the Ten Commandments and, and communion with God and he's, he's talking to him and he's doing all these things and the people are down uh, in the valley and, and they're bored. They don't know what to do with themselves. Um, their, their daddy doesn't have a blow-up pool that he can just set up in the backyard with some water. He, they're, they're just bored out of their minds. They're like, we got to do something. We don't know what God is doing. We don't know where Moses is. So Aaron, do something about it. And, and Aaron decides to, um, we all know the story, to build this golden calf. And he says, all right, bring me all your gold. And so they bring him all the gold. They take off their earrings. They're, they're taking plates and cups and all the, th all the things. And they're melting it and smelting it. And they, they, they craft out of that gold a giant golden calf. And the Bible says that Aaron built an altar to this golden calf. And it's at that point in time in Scripture where God turns to Moses and he says, hey, I just want you to know that I'm about to go kill everybody, that I am sick and tired of them um, just, just going off and doing whatever they want willy-nilly. And, and I, he says, my wrath, why don't you go away because my wrath is so hot right now that I'm about to burn them. And, and Moses begins to pray. And he says, you know, Lord, please don't stay thy wrath. Uh, let me go talk to them and, and I'll go deal with this. Um, but just don't do anything about it right now. And the Bible says that, that the Lord's repented of wanting to kill the people. But Moses had to go down. And, and he basically gave him what for. And he said, why are you doing these things? But, but it's the idea that, that Aaron builds an altar to commemorate and, and to fellowship with this false idol that I really think stoked the Lord's anger. Again, altars are not just things that, that, that Jews did, that Christians do. It, altars were, were, were around forever. And, and the pagan religions were doing it as well. But, but I truly believe that we, what we see here is God saying that these people are wanting to fellowship and commune with something that's not me. They, they want just some, some uh, physical thing to worship, and, and that's really what stoked his wrath. And, and it was the idea of that partnership and the altar and the communion that, that Aaron established with that golden, um, golden idol that really, I think, stowed, stoked the Lord. Um, so that one's in Exodus, and I, again, I didn't add it on here. But, but again, the, the, the altar was something that we as humans started to establish to have that communion. And at some point in time, in fact, in Numbers chapter 1, we're going to see that God says, uh, I want to establish a true place of location uh, and communion 
for you and for me. And so he puts together a massive list of things that had to be done in order to build this place. And, and they call it the tabernacle. Um, in the Hebrew, that word comes down to tent. But there's, there's, they build this, this location that, that is um, large. It's got specific requirements for um, how it's built, what materials are used, and, and it's called the tabernacle. And we're going to read here in, in Numbers chapter 1, but, but even before then, in, in the book of Exodus, God is establishing all the things that have to happen. So before we read Numbers 1, uh, I'm just going to give you these, these, um, these salient points. In Exodus chapter 25, he, he gives us a list of all the materials that are needed. The ark, the table for the 12th showbread, the menorah. In Exodus chapter 26, he talks about the tabernacle, the bars that have to go in place, the partitions that are laid within. In Exodus 27, we hear about the copper altar, the enclosure, the oil. Uh, in Exodus 28, the vestments for the priests, what they have to wear, the ephod garment, the ring settings, the breastplate, the robe, the headplate, the tunic the turban, the sashes, the pants. He goes into great detail about what the priest has to look like when they go into the altar, in the tabernacle. Uh, Exodus 29, there's a consecration, of a, a cleansing for the priests and for the altars that, are, that belong in there. In Exodus 30, there's incense that's part of that altar, the washstand, the anointing oil, the incense. All of those passages describe the tabernacle and the things that have to happen in it um, as the Lord set out. And, and in Numbers, he makes something very clear to the Jewish community, to the Israelites. And God tells them, look, I want you to have a census. I want you to number the people out there. In verse 47, but the Levites, after the tribe of their fathers, were not numbered among them. The Lord had spoken unto Moses, saying, Only thou shalt not number the tribe of Levi, neither take the sum of them among the children of Israel. But thou shalt appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of testimony, and over all the vessels thereof, and over all things that belong to it. They shall bear the tabernacle, and all the vessels thereof. And they shall minister unto it, and shall encamp round about the tabernacle. When the tabernacle setteth forward... The Levites shall take it down. When the, la the tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levites shall set it up. And the stranger that comes nigh shall be put to death. The ch children of Israel shall pitch their tents, every man by his own camp, and every man by his own standard, throughout their hosts. But the Levites shall pitch round about the tabernacle of testimony, that there be no wrath upon the congregation of the children of Israel." The Levites shall keep the charge of the tabernacle of testimony. And the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so did they. The tabernacle was a place for the community of Jews to come together and celebrate and commemorate what God was doing in their lives. When you think about the altar, the altar was a personal thing. When, when we drive around this city, we don't go and say, look at that house right there. That's where so-and-so had this experience because we just don't know. Similarly, in, in, the, in the olden times, in the Old Testament, when they start building these altars, imagine someone else who had no idea what this, this pile of rocks was for walking by and saying, wow, this is called Beth Shamel. I don't know what that is, but it, apparently some guy thought it was cool to put these rocks together and they would walk off. Right? It was a personal thing. If you didn't know the story, if you didn't hear it from your, your fathers or your uncles or whatever, you didn't know what this pile of rocks was for. So the altar was a personal thing for, for your small community. It wasn't even for the entire community. It was just for you and the people that you told about it. And, and whether it had a name or not, you had to make sure that that information was shared in order for people to know about it. Right, Because it was done for their own edification. This was between me and the Lord. I did this for us. I didn't do this for the community. The tabernacle was different. The tabernacle was an altar for the Jewish community. It does say, though, 
that strangers would be put to death. This was just for the Jews. This was just for their community. They had already been through uh, really hell and back, when you think about it, uh, as in being part of other communities. They, they, we see this with uh, Joseph as, as they're working. He gets sold into slavery, and, and he's in Egypt, um, and he's, he's rising up. The Lord establishes him there for, just, for such a time as this. I know that's an extra thing, but him too. Um, but he's, he gets established there, and, and um, God uses him to save the Israelites because, because he then is able to tell the king, hey, you know, let's bring the people, bring the people. And so there's the, there's the starvation, there's the famine, and, and God uses uh, Joseph and his coat of many colors to save the people, right? And, and, and once they do that, now they're embedded in the Egyptian culture. Those people are, the, the, the Israelites are living with the Egyptians. And what happens is Joseph dies. His, his, his uh, children start to, to grow and, and to learn, but they don't get established in the government. And so as the pharaohs begin to die, generations of pharaohs begin to die, they forget the, the relationship that they had with the Israelites. In fact, they see the Israelites, they see the Jewish community, they see how it's growing, how it's expanding. And the pharaohs get together with his family and he says, look, these people are, are growing exponentially and pretty soon they're going to take over this land. We got to do something about that. And so they, they put them into slavery. And, and it's that slavery that they live through for, for generations that they start to cry out and say, God, save us, get us out of this. And, and so God raises up Moses. And so they come out of this slavery, they come out of this hell that they're living in, and, and God establishes this place where they can be a community worshiping one God, him. And, and that's what the tabernacle becomes. It becomes a church for the Jews. And he has some very strict requirements for how it needs to be set up, um, because of the nomadic nature of the Israelites at the time, remember he's they're walking for forty years, just wandering the desert. So he sets up this thing, um, but because of their nomadic nature, he makes it so that it's mobile and and makes it so very specific in the way that it's set up, in the way that it's brought down, in in how how big it is, the, the dimensions of it, where things are are separated and set apart. Um, I imagine that they have these reeds, these measuring rods, where they're, they're measuring the distance between menorah, between the, the showbread, between the altar. They have with them the Ark of the Covenant that they put into the, the Holy of Holies where God uh, seats himself like a throne, where, where, the, go, where the priests can go and, and behind the curtain uh, begin to pray to the Lord. Um, the Ark of the Covenant has very specific things inside of it. And so the tabernacle became this place of communion, of sacrifice. It's where business was established when it came to knowing and being with God. And outside of that place is where the people went and lived their lives. They would come to the tabernacle to worship. That, that became the place. And it became the place because the altars were, again, individual pockets of relationship. The tabernacle became the place where everybody came to commune. At one point in time, God says, I want to establish a true place for my people to come and worship. In fact, I want to make it a place where all nations can come and worship. And he begins to talk to David about this. And David has a heart to say, I, I, want, I want everybody to come and worship my God. The, the Lord Yahweh, and and God tells him, "Look, you're you're too bloody. You're you're a man of war." First Chronicles twenty eight verse one, it says, "And David assembled all the princes of Israel, the princes of the tribes, and the captains of the companies that ministered to the king by course, and the captains over thousands, and captains over hundreds, and stewards over all the substance and possession of the king and of his sons with the officers, with the mighty men, with all the valiant men unto Jerusalem." He calls everybody and their sister. Then David, the king, stood up upon his feet and said, Hear me, brethren, my people. As for me, 
I had in my heart to build a house of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of God and had made ready for the building. David has been conquering. He's been warring. He's been fighting. He has established now a kingdom. He's got all these people that work for him, that uh, follow him, and, and he has seen the nomadic nature of the Ark of the Covenant, that, that from, from place to place, they're moving this ark. And, and David has said in his heart that, no, God needs a home. It needs a place where we can come and say, this is, this is the house of God. And he had made ready for the building. Verse 3, but God said unto me, thou shalt not build a house for my name, because thou hast been a man of war and hast shed blood. Howbeit the Lord of God, the Lord God of Israel chose me before all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever, for he hath chosen Judah to be the ruler, and of the house of Judah, the house of my father, and among the sons of my father, he liked me to make me king over all Israel. And of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen Solomon, my son, to sit upon the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. And he said unto me, Solomon, your son, he shall build my house and my courts. For I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. So we, we see now, we started at altars, little individual pockets of, of relationship, into a tabernacle, this, this, this community of people that come together, but it's nomadic, it's moving around, it's, it's not in one place, all the way to this thing called the temple. The temple of God that David wants to build, that he's not allowed to. We'll read who, who gets to build it here in a minute. Um, but we see this temple that, God, that David wants to build for God so that people can come and say that is where God is worshipped. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 22, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven and said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. You have kept with your servant David, my father, which you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled it this day. That's the beginning of, of Solomon's prayer in the temple when he begins to dedicate it. We're going to skip down to verse, 80, to verse 41, still in chapter 8. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays towards this house, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, in order that all the peoples of the earth, all the tax people, may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. This is the, the, um, the temple, the, the prayer for the nations that, that we've heard so much about, right? We're going to skip down to verse 54. Chapter 8, verse 54. Now as Solomon finished offering all this prayer and plea to the Lord, he rose from before the altar of the Lord, where he had knelt with his hands, outstretched toward heaven and he stood and he blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice saying blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised not one word has failed of all his good promise which he spoke by Moses his servant the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers may he not leave us or forsake us that he may incline our hearts to him to walk in all his ways to keep his commandments, his statutes, his rules, which commanded our fathers. Let these words of mine, with which I have pleaded before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night. And may he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel as each day requires. That all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other. Let your heart therefore be wholly true to the Lord our God walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments as at this day. The temple revealed 
to the Jews that God was bringing salvation to everybody in the land, to all mankind. That's really what the purpose of the temple was for. We see the altar, again, an individual uh, covenant relationship with God. We see the tabernacle, a place for the Jews to come and worship and have their community. And, and God transitioned it to a temple, a place where everybody out in the world could see the, the majesty and the grandeur that God was bringing to the land by his hand. And, and that's what Solomon established. That's what David wanted. As David's going conquering in battle, Solomon was doing with wisdom and, and with love. Uh, he was bringing God's, God's mighty hand, not through war, but through peace, through relationship, through the temple. Now, this, this has obviously a, a natural conclusion that goes outside of a building. We then began to establish churches, not we individually, but humanity. We see temples begin to rise up in different areas because we, we knew we could not travel to one place, the, the temple that Solomon established, because everything was just so far. We didn't have the internet back then. We didn't have a way to travel by plane. Everything had to either be uh, on a cart with a horse uh, or oxen, uh, or you traveled by boat, and it was inconvenient. And so they said, we've established a temple here, but what if we established a temple somewhere else? So what you really see in the New Testament is, is small churches begin to pop up, these, these areas where um, people could begin to worship together, but on their own. You see synagogues begin to rise up. So there was a, a Solomon's temple in, in Jerusalem, and then other synagogues and temples began to be established in other places so that you didn't have to travel so far. But we see these things begin to happen, um, and, and then Jesus changes everything. In John chapter 2, verse 13, it says, And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. When he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence. Make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house has eaten me up. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou dost these things? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he wasn't talking about the building. He spoke of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. The temple was not a building anymore. Jesus established the temple as a person, him and as people, us. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, Know you not that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. We started with altars, individual places of communion and commiseration, into a tabernacle, a floating place where the, the Jewish community could have their, their worship center, into a temple, a building that Solomon and David established for everyone to know and to see God from afar. And then Jesus said, the temple is me and the temple is you, dear one. God has called you to be the place where, where God dwells and where relationship is established. This became the, the, the precedence for communion in my mind, where we're talking about an individual who is, who is having this relationship with God can now have relationship with God and with man. And, and when people see the altar and say, hey, that's what happened over there, they'll see you. They'll see the individual and say, that's the person that changed my life. They showed me 
that, that Jesus is someone that I could work with and know, and then they become the light. And that's really where this whole thing in the New Testament comes forth. You are the light of the world. People don't hide it under a basket, right? They put it up on a hill and they say, look, here it is. You are that light. You are the temple that God has called. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sins against his own body. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God. You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You were purchased just like David purchased that threshing floor. You were purchased with a price. That price was paid so that you could go off and be the, the ambassador, the establishment of God on this earth. And so, yes, we worship in buildings like this one. We come together as a community, and, and we rise up, and we worship, and we give God the glory together. But, but as individuals, you are the one that's worshiping. You are the one that's bringing that praise. This, this idea that if you can sit in a building and watch as the people worship and, and that you're, you're just okay is, is fallacy. You are the one that has to establish worship in your heart. That's why a, a worship of one is, is just as effective as a worship of many because you are the temple. Because God has called you to be that. And, and in these trying times, I, I look out here again in, in this empty sanctuary you know, following the law that says we can't have more than, than a certain number of people, I look out and I say, as, as few people as there are in this room, we are many. We're out there. We believe and we love and, and we worship the one true God. And, and we raise up our hands and we're doing this together because why? Because we are the temple. We were bought with the price. The Holy Ghost lives inside of us. And so we're not alone. God has not left us. God is going to strengthen us and establish us. It requires you, dear saint, to rise up and continue that worship in your heart. I, I'm so thankful for the, the technology nowadays that we have to be able to do this. I don't know what, how this would have manifested itself uh, at a time when we are not not able to communicate the way that we are today. Imagine if we didn't have the internet or or. Um, some way to, to reach out to each other. That's, that's what it was like in the New Testament when these people were so far away from each other. And that's why the, the Bible became what it was. Because as, as Paul is ministering, as, as Peter is ministering, as these, these disciples are going out, they're, they're wanting to reach these, these communities. And so they, they get together with the house churches that have been established. And, and they, they, they work with them. They talk to them. Uh, much like when we go out to the nations, but they work with them, they talk with them, they pray with them, they show them what intercession is like. They speak with them in diverse tongues, and they show them the things that, that God is manifesting in the pneumatikos, in the spiritual. And, and as they do these things, the, the people begin to rise up. And they say, that's what we've been looking for. We've heard the message of Jesus, but we know that there's so much more that Jesus wants to do inside of us. And so, so Paul, as he's establishing these things and working with them, says, look, i got to go got to go on to the next place and so he he prays and he commissions a pastor and some leaders and and that pastor gets together a group of men and they become bishops and deacons and and that person is then called to speak the word of god to learn the word of god by by prayer by fasting by relationship by looking into the old testament the torah that he had and diving into scripture and really trying to understand what god wants of him but he also relies on Paul writing a letter and sending it to his church. And he gets the letter, letter to the Corinthians from Paul the Apostle, servant of Jesus Christ. I bid you adieu, good sir. And, and I say to you all these things, and, and that pastor takes that letter and he reads it to his congregation. Look what Paul has brought us. Look what Jesus is telling us, this small church in Corinth. And, and they begin to grow and they begin to rise up. And so these letters get spread about. And that's what becomes the New Testament for, for us today. Is these people writing these letters. The communication coming 
from the apostles, from the disciples, from the people that have committed themselves to God. You get letters from Paul, from Timothy, from Peter, from John. All these letters, Matthew, Mark, all these letters written together, bound into a book and spread across. That was their internet that day. We have something a little stronger now. No, let me say that differently. <laughs> Nothing stronger than the Bible. We have something that's a little bit um, wider in bandwidth and, and can reach instantly. And that's, that's this, this internet that we're, we're experiencing right now. But nothing is more powerful than you as an individual knowing the word of God because that's what they had to rely on because you are a temple. You are a temple. And, and, as, and as much as we want to be in commune together, it, this, this, we need that as people. We need to be a part of something. And, and the Pauls and, and the Timothys will always rise up and they'll always be giving messages but you as an individual need to be getting your own message as well. You need to be invested in the kingdom of God for yourself. And it's not that we're going to stop. It's that you also need to rise up because you're going to be reaching people. You're going to be talking to them and getting them to where they need to be. And, and the, the cycle begins all over again with establishing the altar, the, the, the nomadic nature of the tabernacle, the temple, us being that temple and and touching people's lives that is what god has called us to and and so for me in this communion sunday it's very important um the the message that i think that god wants to give to us is look you might be lonely but you're not alone my my brother wanted to come over yesterday he, he's doing some woodworking projects he's obviously got a lot of time on his hands now like everybody else so he wanted to come over, and he kept saying to me, hey, look, come to Home Depot with me, come to Home Depot. And we were six feet apart. He was, he was parked in the, the back of the, the house, and I told him, look, I can't. I, I really don't think it's appropriate for me to go and, you know, um, expose myself to, to these dangers right now. I've got a family to think about. Um, you know, I, I, the, the mask is in the house, and it's being washed. I, I just really don't think it's good for me to go out right now. My, my brother needed that communion, so we talked for a little bit, and then he left. Um, but, but as we're talking through these things, I'm thinking about the, the hardship that we're all experiencing in this time and, and how there's people in this house that miss coming to this house, that, that are watching now uh, on the live stream or listening to this uh, at a later date. Just know that God is with you. That, that he is establishing his kingdom within you and that now is the time to fortify and strengthen that relationship. It was never dependent on this church and the building. It was always about you knowing God as an individual. And that's really what this church, the Father's church, is about. The revelation that you have a personal relationship with him it's one of the first things that, that, was be, that began to be preached from this house and that drove so many people away. That Look, this, this, this building is not about society. It's not about um, putting yourself in a position in front of other people. It, it's not um, a, a place of hobnobbing and just being social. It's a place to go and intercede and to pray and to hear the voice of God. And, and so many people just didn't want to hear that. And so they left. And, and God bless them wherever they are now, but they left. They left because they, they didn't come to church to be with God. They came to church to see their buddies and, and to be with their friends and to show other people, hey, I go to church. I'm a good Christian. That's not why God built this place, and it's not why God has you out there today. He built you to be the temple, to have communion with him in a new and more powerful way. And that is to have that direct relationship with God. So as we struggle through this pandemic, as we go forth and, and we try to be safe, um, just know that God is with you and you're not alone. You might be lonely, but you're not alone. And, and now is really the time to build up your, your faith and your communion with him. So, Father, I just thank you for what you're doing in, in our body, among our saints. I thank you for... The, the miracles of technology, and for uh, more than anything, Father, for the people in, in, our, in our body, in our saints network group that have the, the, 
the capacity, the fortitude, the mental um, ability to figure these things out and, and help us. Lord, bless them, Mark and Scott and, and others around the Saints Network that are, that are working hard to keep this, this show going. Lord, we thank you for them. We pray that you bless them. But Lord, as, as we struggle through all this thing, Father, I pray that you just commune with us in a new and special way. Strengthen our relationship with you. And then when we do come back together as a body in this building to communally worship you and praise you, Father, it will be that much more powerful because everyone will be invested in what's going on. And no one can be a spectator at that point in time. But we love you. We thank you for this. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.